0: We've been talking about the different crowns that the believers are going to receive in eternity, and the one we've been talking about the last week was the crown of glory. And there were some who came and said, Well, you kind of rushed through that crown of glory idea with uh, all the different requirements, because the crown of glory is to be given to whom? Faithful ministers. Those who have been called of God into a ministry, and they have been faithful. It doesn't say those that have been popular, or successful, or dynamic, or charismatic. It says it's for those who are faithful to do what God has called them to do that they shall receive a crown of glory. And last week we read through 1 Timothy concerning the requirements, basic requirements, of a, one who's called to be a bishop or a minister or an elder, a leader in the church. Now, it's very important we understand this in this day and age because let me tell you something, the world is looking at the church today and they don't like what they see. They're very quick to be able to perceive what's phony. I've always told parents your your kids can can spot a phony a mile away. You don't have to tell your kids whether you're real or not. They can tell it and they know it in an instant. And that's why a lot of parents are very defensive today in most churches. They'd rather have the young people over in another part of the church so they don't see their parents raising their hands and saying hallelujah, and then during the week screaming and shouting and fighting and doing all those things that they shouldn't be doing. But the same thing is true of the world. They may not know much about doctrine, but they sure know much about character, about what is supposed to be required. You know, the, the world many times holds a higher standard for the church than the church does. One of the tragedies taking place in these last days, we've had a lot of pastors who call themselves pastors, but the evidence of their life does not manifest the calling of God in their life or obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I said last week that, first of all, that the man who is called of God is, is, he is a man, he's not supernatural. He puts his pants on like everyone else. He's not an angel. Uh, He's a called man. He does not do it because he wants to necessarily. He does it because he feels the, the call of God on his life. He cannot get away from it. There are many in the Old Testament who said, Lord, if it's possible I'm never going to say another word. I want out of this. This is too much pressure. God had to deal with him. When a man is called, the calling of God is without Repentance. And he's because of that calling, he's not only a man, but he's a called man. He's a responsible man, I said. The Bible says that when a man is put in a position of authority, he has to answer for your soul. Submit to them that have to answer for your soul, that they might do it with joy, the Word of God said. Thirdly, I said he was a family man. And I brought, I said last week, 15 points. I studied these again, and I found 18 points. 18 different things that are requirements for a pastor if he's going to be biblical, biblically right. In the ministry. Now let me tell you something. This is not fun for me to have to do. How many of you like to go in and find all the reasons why the Lord needs to deal with you in other areas of your life? And as I look at this, I say, Lord, these are, these are tough. It doesn't make a difference whether they're tough or not. God's Word says this is the responsibility. Now I say that because today most people just say, oh, they've got a beautiful church. Oh, they've got some nice people in the church. But that's not the prerequisite by which we seek a church. We seek a shepherd. One that we can follow as he follows Christ. I don't care where you go. If you just go and get a preacher or a pastor, that you can hire and fire, I want to tell you something, you're out of order biblically. You have to find the shepherd. 1 Peter 5 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd shall appear ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away now then first timothy 3 first timothy 3 beginning with the first verse by the way, nothing is said in these requirements here concerning the man's love for God or his communion with God or his piety or any of those things. They're, they're just taken for granted. If you're called of God, you're going to have those elements in your life. But it's talking about moral characteristics of a person who's to be a pastor. Let me tell you something. We need to hear it in this day and age when the pastors are falling out of the pulpit one after another today and people are in total consternation and confusion trying to figure out what's going on. We've got to go hire us another one. We've got to go hire us another one. I told you last week that one man told me in the few years he's been in this one church, he says, we fired two preachers already, we got us a third one now. I'll tell you, he's going to keep hiring and firing. God's not going to send him a shepherd. He's going to send them hirelings that can be hired and fired. Very important for them to understand. The first thing it says there in verse 2, the bishop must be blameless. Now, blameless means a good have a good moral reputation. And... Uh, I said many of them are failing in that area today and become disqualified, and yet there's a denomination I heard that's now thinking, considering seriously of making a new amendment to their constitution and bylaws that says that the men who have fallen and gone, fallen into adultery and have remarried, uh, should now be brought back into the ministry after two years because it's a waste of manhood, of manpower in in their denomination. I'm talking about a strong, fundamental holiness Pentecostal denomination. You know, with doctors and attorneys today, there are requirements, moral requirements for uh, doctors and attorneys. And I know some of them seem to get away with a whole bunch of it. But once they get before that board, and they can be disbarred very quickly if it's proven that they're doing something that's that's not according to the uh, commitment that they made when they took the bar exam and were were, uh, sworn into their office. And if that be so of just a doctor or an attorney, how much more so of one who's called to be a servant of Jesus Christ. The second thing it says there is the husband of one wife. Now, it's interesting here that the, the Greek construction here says one wife's husband. Now, that's different. That means he doesn't have to be married, but if ever he is married, he's one wife's husband. It means he has nothing to do with other women. Once he makes a commitment and a choice, there is no sexual promiscuity whatsoever. From now on, I made a quality decision to cleave to this woman and to this woman only so long as we both live. He says that if a man is going to be in the ministry, he must be a one woman man. In another place where it talks about the elderly widows who are widows indeed to be taken into the church, they should be one man women. That does not mean if a woman, if a husband dies or a wife dies, you can't marry again. It means when you're under that covenant, you're under that covenant for life and committed to that covenant for life. That's a requirement. That is not a suggestion. That's not a preference. That's a requirement that any husband, any pastor be a one-woman man. Thirdly, it says that he is to be vigilant. Vigilant here in the Greek, according to different commentators, means alert, attentive, watchful, cautious. But it also means he is not affected by the fads and the and the fashions and the political correctness that may come into our society, he's only affected by one thing, and that is the Word of God. He knows what his calling is. He knows what his responsibility is. And he couldn't care less what anyone else has to say. He is willing at any price to do what he was called to do and to be alert about it. He's not flighty. He's not up here and down here and over here, and you never know where you're going to find him. The next one says that he is sober. Now, another in other places in the New Testament, that same word is translated Temperate, and uh, that doesn't just mean sober from intoxicants, but it means level-headed, thoughtful, mature. Uh, there are some uh, uh, other verses. Look, let me just look at another verse, a couple of verses with you. And one is in First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. So you get a little idea what, this, what he's talking about here. First Thessalonians five verses six and eight says, "Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober." And verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Uh, so it means that we're constantly ready for battle, to do battle. Uh, a pastor should constantly have the armor of God on and be ready to do battle wherever he is or whatever the situation, and not carried away by other winds of doctrine. Another one is in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Watch thou in all things. Be alert, be sober, be temperate in all things. And it says that we're not to be carried away by false doctrine. In, in chapter 1 of First uh, Timothy, and verse 4, he says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. A pastor does not get caught up in all these little fads and all these false doctrines that come along. He comes in and analyzes them and moves on. Now, again, let me say that when a pastor analyzes doctrine, he only has one source to go to, and that's not 35 different commentaries. It's to find out what the true meaning of the Word of God really is. It's not to find out what the doctor says about it. Philosophies come along. I'm told that your treasury agents never are allowed to look at counterfeit money and all the time they're being trained they're only allowed to look at the true money study the true money completely to where they know it inside out they know everything about the the true money the reason for that is once they know what the real true money is they can instantly spot that which is false that's exactly what a pastor should do he does not go around studying all the false cults he studies the word of god so when someone comes along and says such and such you say that's not true because i know what the word says that's contrary to what the word says here. That's contrary to what the word says there. Remember, I told you that little Rolodex that's in my head? I, I'm amazed sometimes myself when somebody will say something to me, how that little Rolodex will whip around and out of top of verse, and a red flag will go up and say, No, nope, that's not true. How do you know it's not true? Because the word says this. Yes, but this verse over here, yes, we can't compare that verse because this verse says this. And you see, truth never has to be apologized for. And a pastor must always be sober and vigilant in standing up against false doctrine that comes in, so you're not swept away by every wind of doctrine that comes along. The fifth thing says that he should be of good behavior. Now that's talking about the quality of his character. He should be orderly, he should be mannerly, spiritually and mentally, by the way. I've seen some guys that have been so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord, you know, just jumping all over the place. And I think it's nice to praise the Lord, but I I think you ought to do it with your feet on the ground. But if you do jump in the air, when you land, walk straight. And so it's talking about here of good behavior, quality of character, uh, and his daily habits. Uh, I think it's very important if a person in the ministry that their daily habits should be such that are not obnoxious to others. I've seen some people who have, some pastors who have, well, I've traveled down through the years in evangelism. Well, let me tell you something. There's some of them out there that I just walk away shaking my head saying, God, I'm grateful that they're your servants and not mine. Because if they're mine, I'm afraid I would I'd use a boot on them. Try to get them straightened out. They just do some of the craziest things in the world. But again, the real tragedy is that people follow them and get into problems themselves. I know of a young man in Colorado years ago who was in, he felt like he was called to ministry. And he was so obnoxious. He would say the most insulting things to people. He would put people down so hard that they would walk away crying and he thought he was doing it just being smart. And I never did find out whether that man ever landed with his feet on the ground. And I want to tell you something. He injured many people's souls. And so Paul says it's very important that a person be of good behavior. And a gentleman, not slovenly in his appearance. I believe that when we're out... If somebody has to put on nice clothes to go out and represent... IBM, why shouldn't we represent Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about you have to have a suit on all the time, but I think when people see us, they ought to know that we do know what soap is. And we do know what it is to, to be clean. And, and Paul says that being of good behavior includes that. Then the next thing says they are given to hospitality. talks about impartation to other people. Some of that's in the ministry has to learn that it's not take all you can get, it's give all you can give. Imparting to others and blessing others. It means open-heartedness. It means open-handedness. It means being a lover of strangers. This uh, missionary that's coming, I've never met him. Talked to him over the phone. He was thrilled at what God uh, had done in the, the book. And uh, he said, I'm going to be in Florida in, in September. And the man has 150 some missionaries working under him. He used to be a banker here in the United States. But I, I told him, you come and we'll fellowship and we'll get together and we'll, uh, we'll just get to know each other more and more in the days ahead. Because I believe the man's doing something. But back in that day, it was so important because many Christians were being chased all over the country and being driven and their, their possessions were being taken away from them. When they came into town, they tried to find another Christian brother or sister that would take them in. And a pastor, one of the things of a pastor, they said, Now when you're looking for a pastor, don't find some guy that says, Hey, go down the street to Brother Jones and stay there. You can't stay here. He said, Find those that will open their home to uh, strangers, and bring them in and minister to them. And many times give them something because they have had everything taken away from them. That is one of the signs being given to hospital. Look at Romans twelve, thirteen with me. Romans chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Paul the Apostle. We can actually go back to verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. That's one of the signs and one of the requirements of a pastor. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Let brotherly love continue, verse 1, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Very important for a pastor to be hospitable. The seventh requirement is apt to teach now that apt to teach in the Greek is one word and it means the ability to enlighten darkened minds or to transmit ideas and principles. It's nice to have a person that, is, that has all the other qualities that's required here, but if they can't teach, they're going to be wasting everybody's time because when believers come together, they're to learn and be able to have ideas transmitted to them. And I want to tell you something, it has to be a gift from the Lord. You might have natural ability. But God has to give you the ability to know what to say and when to say it and to whom. It is so exciting sometimes to be up here preaching and all of a sudden God just shuts his notes down and says, say this, and say that, say this. And you say, Lord, I'd like to get on with my message that I've been studying all week. Say this, say that. Why am I spending so much time on this one point, Lord? Say this. And I, I, you know, it's just one of the most helpless feelings in the world, but it's exciting Because someone else will come up and say, how I thank God you said thus and such and thus and such. That's exactly what I was asking God to speak to my heart on today. You think, what am I, a chopped liver? You know, God has to do it through you. And you have to have the ability for God to speak to you and then say what He says to you and do it in such a way that people can learn from it. One of the requirements is to apt to teach. And then, not given to one. Horinos means wine-bibber, tippler, one who sits long beside the wine. Paul says that all drinking is dangerous and should be avoided. But it's interesting how all down through the history of God's Word, it's warned against alcoholic imbibbing. I know of pastors, personally, who were good preachers, as far as speakers are concerned, powerful effect on congregations, I know one of them that, uh, they found out after a while that he had a, his own bar down in the basement. His wife didn't even know. I mean, she, they've been married for 25 years. She didn't know he drank. It reminds me of the fellow that said, the woman said she didn't know her husband drank. She'd been married to him for 30 years and never knew he drank a drop until he came home sober one, one day. This, this pastor, his wife would go to work and he would go down the basement and soak up and then he, I don't know what he did to get rid of get it off his breath, but he was drinking for years. She found that in the basement. Of course, that brought on other sins in his life. But Paul the Apostle says that we're not to be given to wine. Look at some verses with me in the Old Testament to show you how God has stated this all down through the years. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. God is speaking here to Aaron, the high priest. Verse 8, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, do not drink wine nor strong drink thou nor thy sons with thee when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. In Numbers, the sixth chapter, Numbers chapter six, where it talks about the Nazarites, a special sect or a group that had dedicated themselves to the Lord. You remember Jesus Was a Nazarite because he came from Nazareth. But there was a Nazarite group in the Old Testament. In Numbers, the sixth chapter, verses one through four. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husks. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, it talks about John the Baptist. when God called John the Baptist from the womb, speaking about the child that is going to be born. Uh, verse 14, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Deuteronomy the 29th chapter, an interesting portion concerning the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness, before they went into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And by the way, may I tell you the reason it's so important is because uh, as believers today, we're in the wilderness getting ready to go into the promised land now. And we, when we leave this, this earth, we're going into the promised land. And this was the rule that God gave to Israel while they're in the promised land. Deuteronomy 29, 5 and 6. And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. You have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. If you think you can get away with it, he says you're not wise. Stay away from it. Proverbs 21, 17 He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So if you want to be poor, take it in. Proverbs 23, verses 29-32 through knows the end result of it. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. That's the end result of those who are involved in alcoholic drinking. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, verses 3 and 4. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. How many of you know we're a royal generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? He says it's not for us to be involved in that. In Romans the thirteenth chapter, thirteen thirteen. Paul the Apostle speaking just to the believers in, in the church of Rome. Romans thirteen, thirteen. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Galatians, the fifth chapter. God doesn't put these things in here lightly. They're here for a reason. And he says that one who is to be a, a receive a crown of glory should not be given to one. Galatians 5, 19 now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And if you'll go over to verse 21, it says, Envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have to also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul to Timothy said there was one area where a person could receive alcoholic beverages if he's in the ministry. And that's found in 1 Timothy the 5th chapter, verse 23. Timothy was having problems with his stomach. And Paul says, Drink no wa- no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for the, uh, thine often infirmity. How many of you remember the story of the family that lived down south and he shot into the ground and the oil came up out of the ground and moved to Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills building? Remember grandma always making her medicine with that little still. Paul says, the only time that a person needs medicine, and by the way, much of our medicine that we take today has alcohol in it. But that's the only use that I find in Scripture where it's recommended that we take it if we have a physical affliction, but not otherwise. I want to share with you the importance here. I wish I could emphasize it strongly enough. When we place ourselves under the authority of anyone in the ministry who does not fulfill these requirements, we open ourselves up to the same areas of difficulty that they have. If a man is promiscuous, the old saying is if the, if the pastor smokes, the congregation drinks. Because you open yourself up to all sorts of problems. Now, again, it's so important for us to understand this in this day and age because people do not stay in one area very long. They shift from place to place. And I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many people call me and say, Pastor, where can we go to church? Every church we go to, this pastor's doing this, or the officers are doing that. And you know, I said, isn't it amazing that people are suddenly becoming aware that there is a responsibility on the part of those in, in office to hold a standard following Christ so that we can follow them. But there are many groups today that are out there jumping and shouting and rolling around, and all they say, oh no, just love Jesus, just love one another, just forget all the rest of the... No, this is the requirement. And I feel it very heavily upon myself. That's why I said it's a lot easier to follow than to lead. But the most important thing is the reason you have someone that you're supposed to be able to follow is so that they can find out, they, they can see that it works. Christianity works.